0: Oh,
1: Recorded live.
0: If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that's because you're either listening live or you picked up a pre-edit copy. Come back in a few hours and we'll have an edited version all ready for you. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and then something else. Well, what else do we do? Jack, we it. Oh, that's right. We got, we got that scuba in the news stuff. Scoob Obsessed episode one hundred forty three is recorded live December twenty seventh, twenty twelve. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and with me this week and are, are you uh, was Jim Schultz and the question I want to ask is are you in Michigan? Yes, I'm in Michigan. Cool. So uh, you didn't have to do any traveling this this holiday season? No, not yet. Well, did you, you have a good Christmas? I had a very good
2: Christmas. Nice and quiet, just me and the wife. Oh, wow. Very quiet, enjoyable day.
0: Excellent. Yeah, we, we stayed around in the area as well. Didn't do as much traveling as we have in the past, which was great. And hopefully all of our listeners had a great holiday season. And we're getting close to that time of the year where the the liquid stuff isn't so liquid. I'm noticing that some of our ponds are starting to uh, get a little crispy along the edges.
2: Yeah, the lakes around me and the uh, shallows and the coves have snow on
0: top of them. Hey, wait. That looks like we have we have a guest in the chat room. Let's see if we can pull him in here. Mac, you're not showing up. Don't act so surprised. <laughs> oh, Mac says Skype is down for him. It must just be
2: him because you and I are on.
0: Yeah, well, that's too bad.
2: I just don't
0: think he he doesn't want to talk to you tonight. Yeah, he he wants to hide out in the the chat room and heckle us. There it is, 9:21. He's been trying for three quarters of an hour. Huh? That's not good. Well, well, we'll let him type in as we go. Okay. Okay, but I guess that means we got to get into the news. Gosh, it, it, it's going to kill He's going to, it's gonna kill him. He's gonna it's gonna be kind of like they say, uh, not being able like losing your voice. So we're pasting the oh crud oh, here we go. So we're pasting the links into the chat room so you can follow along. If you're not in the chat room, you need to be.
2: Hey, we have breaking news in the chat room. How's that? Well, what hey, is Dave made a uh, an announcement. Dave did.
0: Well, it, yeah. may, I think maybe we should have Dave come on.
2: I think we should have Dave come on.
0: Yeah, Dave, you, you with, we'll throw you on. You ready? You refilled and ready to go? Breaking wind in the chat room.
2: <laughs> no, breaking news, not the oh. wind. Oh, okay. Of course, that could be
0: happening in the chat room, too. You're oh, saying give them a moment So if it if it drops us off. So, yes, yeah, so we have breaking news we'll have in the in the top of the show. So, you, just to follow up from earlier, you were saying that you were having some, the lakes are getting hard by you? Yes,
2: uh, starting to see in the shallows and some other areas that the lakes are freezing over, and, and they got snow laying on top of them.
0: Oh, they have snow on them. Well, I'm, of course, I've. Haven't been on the road for the last few days. In fact, I'm trying to think the last time I went out. I think I went out Christmas, Christmas Eve. We, we did some drive. No, Christmas Day. Yeah, we did Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I've been driving around. But other than that, I've been just hiding at home. Gosh. Well, you don't
2: get snow unless there's ice. So we've got some ice under there, and it's starting to work its way out towards the centers of the lake. Mm-hmm. We'll have to get Mac to do a flyover sometime this week if he's able. and Give us a uh, visual from the air.
0: Okay. So this first article we have is uh, La Jolla Shores Association votes to create a beach permit review committee. This is a follow-up from an article we had a few weeks back. Uh, During its December 12th meeting, they've uh, chosen to form a seven-person board for commercial use permit committee. The group will explore how to use and enforce consistent fair use permit procedures for all commercial vendors, fitness camps at La Jolla Shores and Kellogg Park. Committee will be comprised of three, uh, let's say LJSA board members, three scuba divers, and one representative from the La Jolla Shores Merchants Association. During the past year, residents questioned whether private scuba schools should, that use the beach should be required to pay their share for upkeep of the public amenity. Kayak and surfing school businesses already regulated uh, by a request for proposal process. Divers will return next week on January 9th with their committee nominations include representatives from the San Diego Council of Divers. Uh, Members are proposing that camps and scuba schools pay permit application fee. The fee would be non-refundable and regulate the days and dates of activities that are permitted. Uh, They're recommending the fee would be $163 per year or $93 per quarter. Dive instructors argue that uh, divers offer instructions in swimming pools, classrooms as an alternate location. They should only come to La Jolla Shores for four test dives. should not be a charge for the permit fee.
2: Now, what are they going to provide? What services are they going to provide for
0: that permit? Uh, nothing new. It's the same I as see looks- is, uh, they're going to provide
1: access, and I'm kind of curious. How did they derive 167?
0: 163, yeah. Oh, they came up with that number?
1: One sixty seven or ninety three. That's a very off the wall number.
0: Well, and the a-
1: fact the fact is everybody knows that when you bring divers into an area, divers are well known for several things beyond just diving. All divers like to eat. Yep. And the local residents are already paying taxes for access, so those coming in from the outside, they're gonna pay their taxes when they're spending their money in the local establishments.
0: Well, what I, here's, here's my theory is what's going on here is they're already charging the kayakers and the surf schools to use the beach. Now, the reason I think they're doing that is I'm betting that the kayak and surf schools are storing gear. You know, they've probably got a hut set up there. They've probably got some racks without being out there or knowing anybody out there. I can't say, but I'm going to guess that they were already paid. And they probably came to the camps, and uh, not the camps, but the parks and said, Hey, can we use this facility? We're going to charge for it. And uh, so they're being charged. And I think what happened is somebody said, well, look at all these divers. And the divers tend to be, what I'm imagining happens is that they just show up. Because we we see this at one of the parks that we dive at. We've got uh, Gull Lake there in Battle Creek. And we all pay to use the park. So we're paying the same fee as if you go down there with your family and you want to go swimming. It's just that we've got some gear with us. So I don't see why that would be any different. You know, you're all individuals. You're just there getting some instruction from a diver. So uh, I think probably to your point, Jim, is that, you know, why are they charging extra for this?
2: It should be just a straight user's fee, uh, and the instructor pays the user's fee like everybody else, just one user. Right. Pay
0: by the head. Exactly. So I I think they're making it a little too complicated, but whenever you get in the committees, this is the type of stuff that can happen. So they're saying that currently – the parks bring in about three hundred five thousand dollars from fees that are collected from the surf camps and the kayak schools, which goes in the general fund and then eventually trickles back to the La Jolla Shores. Uh, they were uh, the divers were asking at the meeting whether the money would go directly into the uh, La Jolla Shores to for improvements, and they said it was absolutely impossible. Which is bullshit. It can't. It's possible. They don't want to, and I know what they're doing is they're, is they're saying that while well, we're already paying for you know the, the city is already paying for it they have to realize that that's actually taxpayers who are paying for it and that's where i think sometimes where it comes in is they, they think that as taxpayers they're subsidizing it but i'm i'm betting that they charge to get into this this park is it free parking
1: you know Darren, you've got me prompted into uh doing some research and uh <laughs> this is one i will get back with you on okay. but uh I'm guessing by seeing that, you know, they have a representative from the La Shores Merchants Association mm-hmm. that's, I'm sorry, the, the, the biggest people that will benefit from outsiders coming into their area, people that are not taxpayers, the taxpayers are already funding the park, I'm sure, in some way or other. It's not a private association. It's not like it's a condominium complex that has a beach that people want to dive off of. The Hall of Shores has a park that is run by the city, if I remember correctly, and I'm trying to think of who it was I was talking about. There's somebody that actually comes into the chat rooms that dives in that area, and I can't recall who it is right now.
0: I think it's Mark, who looks like he's in there right now. So I think he's one of our well, he's California been, He's divers. been in and out. Yeah.
1: He's having talk show issues, but... Uh, <laughs> The whole thing is, they have one representative from the local merchants association, those are the people that should be pushing to make it more inviting for divers to come in, because divers are going to buy gas, they're going to buy food, probably a lot of food, they may even buy some other kinds of fuel, but this whole thing of the pay-to-play thing is getting really old, and I understand that a lot of park districts have had their funding cut way back, they're the first ones cut out, but the... Indirect income that the the local area is going to derive far outweighs what they're going to make by pissing people off and charging to dive from there. Their ten dollar dive fee is nothing compared to the taxes for a hotel room, a tank of gas. I would say Twinkies, but we can't get them anymore. <laughs> you know, coffee, beer, um, fried food after the dive. Who doesn't like a good bowl of chili after a dive or a good hot pizza? They may be stabbing themselves in the back if they're going to start charging. I mean, 163 a year for me to go diving on their beach.
0: Well, th- th- is, that's they a have question. A lot of money. Well, I'm wondering, is that the permit? Per- is that the? It sounds if one aspect it sounds expensive. Another one it sounds a little inexpensive. It is that for the instructor?
1: Well, there's not enough information here. They're saying they're proposing instructional camps and SCUBA schools pay a permit application fee to operate on city parkland.
0: Okay, I can understand
2: that. They're charging, anyone who's charging, you know, using that facility uh, as part of a class or something like that, you know, then they're charging them more. I don't know that I agree with that, but I can see where they're coming from. You're not just a private user. You know, you're using this facility as part of your business.
0: So they're saying $163 for a year, if i'm an instructor doesn't really sound like a lot of money
1: what well, doesn't but the thing is is why are they going to charge the instructor to bring people into the area and introduce them and a lot of new divers are really comfortable in the area that they were first certified in first learned to dive and they're going to come back and dive in that area so basically what you're doing is you're telling me that you're gonna charge me to help you make more income in the long run It's it, it, it all goes back to the pay-to-play, and it really blows that these are the things that are killed. One of the few things that government is willing to cut the funding for. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think what it's really coming down to, and we're not getting the whole story from this article, but by permitting it, they can control it. And right now, they don't have a way of controlling it. So if they have a fundraising event or a big party or the 4th of July, they have no way of restricting the the people using it for commercial purposes on a day that is congested with other use.
1: Right. But also, so, Darren, if you look in that article, they say about, about 305000 in fees is collected. I think that should be our collected. But mm-hmm. from Surf Camps and Kayak Schools operating at Jolla Shores each year, which goes into the city's general fund before it trickles back into projects, which means only the, the income generated by that beach is going to the general fund of the city, yeah. And the beach is only going to get what is budgeted to them every year, which is probably not based upon the income generated by the activities at that beach every year. It comes back to political bullshit and increasing a general fund through additional taxation.
0: But yeah, well, when, when you look at the, the budget, this I don't think this is being done for revenue as much as I'd like to say it is. The annual budget for the city of San Diego, which includes this park, Is one point one billion dollars, so three hundred five thousand dollars is really nothing out of that budget. I mean, that's just that's like a rounding error. Yeah, and there's a lot of
1: information we don't have in this article that would probably enlighten the story.
0: Yeah, because I'm just I'm just briefly going through the budget, and yeah, there's just so much. I mean, they've 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 got much much better sources of revenue one is they've got a safety sales tax I'm looking at all the taxes they have we, we used to say that was tax Massachusetts well I think California has got them beat 35 percent of their annual budget is from property tax 17 is from sales tax transient occupancy tax is six percent a franchise fee is 6.1 percent property transfer tax which means every time you sell your property that's 0.4 percent. Safety sales tax is 0.6%. Motor vehicle, license fees, license permits, fines, forfeitures, penalties, revenue from money and property, interest earnings. They're actually making money on interest. And then revenue from other agencies. So, boy, they, they've, they've, they've got the taxing thing down. $1.1 billion, billion dollars coming in. You know, I,
1: I would not have a problem paying those fees to utilize that beach except for the fact that it goes to the general fund. If the fees that I was paying to utilize an asset were kept at that asset to improve that or to operate that facility, I would have no issue with that. My issue is what I would pay to go diving there is going to a general fund, and then a committee is going to decide the next year how much that area is going to receive. And the money that I paid to that facility to use that facility is probably not going to come back to that facility.
0: I, I agree with you there, but this is not isolated San Diego. The oh, local yeah. township I live in, they do the exact same thing. See, they, they want everything in the general fund, and then they can slice it the way they want because there's very few things that pay for themselves, So they and they don't want to have that accounting headache. I'm not justifying it, but I'm just saying that's the reality of what it is, and I agree. The problem we have here in the Great Lakes is there's a fund for dredging all the rivers for boat traffic, And that fund is full. It is rich. It is in the black. It's made money since the day that fee was enacted. And yet we have rivers that aren't being dredged. And they wait until uh, companies start to lose money and we can't get items in like concrete and gravel and salt that come in through the waterways, which is the most energy efficient. If you're green, the most energy efficient way to ship anything is by boat, significantly less. The, Can we the put derailers. a sluice box
1: behind a dredge and recover the bottles?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I I hear you there. In fact, uh, there was something that was coming up where that was, that was happening. Oh, and we have an and we have an article where we'll, we'll we'll be talking about dredging here in just a little bit.
1: I think your next one kind of goes hand in hand almost with that, and it kind of makes me wonder.
0: Well, next up on the list, keeping in the California part of the world, is they California has an undersea network of. Uh, parks, surviving budget cuts, mobs of angry fishermen, and death threats, California officials completed the largest network of undersea parks in the continental United States, 848 square miles of protected waters that reach from Oregon Line to the Mexican border. The final segment of the marine reserves along the north coast became official. 137 square miles of waters reflect a uh, consensus that was reached between Native American tribes, conservation groups, and fishermen to preserve Tribal Traditions While Protecting Marine Life from Exploitation. You can tell the article was uh, written with a particular slant. The uh, dozen-year effort uh, set aside 16% of the state waters as marine reserves, including 9% that are off-limits to fishing or gathering of any kind. State officials uh, passed the Marine Protection Act in 1999, Directed them to consider a statewide network for protecting waters modeled after familiar strategy on land set up parks and refuges to conservation wildlife. Sutton said, It's not rocket science. If you protect wildlife habitat and you don't kill too many, wildlife tends to do well. We've done that in land with the waterfowl population. Now we've done that in the ocean for fish. So what they've done here is they're, they're creating preserved sections. Of the water where you're you're not going to be able to fish or take out any marine life, and this is something that's been they've been working on for quite a while. They said it's going to benefit uh, species that occur all along the coast.
1: I don't know. I'm 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 a big fan of balanced management. You know, when when us humans were not inhabiting all this area, Mother Nature had a way of balancing out the give and take and keeping species under control. And then we come in and we're the Uber species that's managing there's there's things that need protected, and there's sometimes we protect too much and it'll be interesting to watch over the years what occurs with their establishing this reserve and I think from reading some other stuff in the article, they're issuing licenses to fish these areas
0: uh, it's, I, uh, I didn't get did you uh there well in California, they issued two million fishing licenses last year. Um, I'm not seeing that they're issuing permits to fish in the reserves.
1: And I, I also always wonder, you know, as always, every time we create a reserve preserve, all the verbiage that's included in those bills and what they limit and
0: the, the, the hidden stuff that they've thrown in. You wonder what, what is all those details? Cause I, I'm for preserves. I think that it's okay to have water preserves.
1: Oh, most certainly. Most certainly. I, I agree 100%, but I think there's times that we overstep our bounds, and a lot of it are people who are trying to do what they perceive as being the right thing without all the right information.
0: Yeah. I'd I, be I,
1: curious to watch this and see how it develops.
0: I, the environment's a very complicated system, and it doesn't, ha- it doesn't react the way we think it should. Uh, by doing one thing, we're not going to instantly create. Uh, what I'm a fan of preser- Preserves for, and I think that's part of what they're going in, is that they're creating areas that fish are going to be able to spawn. And then those areas be, will be able to go out and repopulate. Now, some of the questions I would have is what type of fishing is going on? Because like like when I'm fishing, let's say I'm, I'm going out fishing, I'm not fishing for the small fry. So the the only thing I can think of is that maybe they're hoping that statistically there's enough preserved areas where the larger examples of those species are going to be able to hang out and then maybe they're like the master breeders who are going and in, in creating a lot of the fry. But well
1: their last I, paragraph there, initially these reserves are seen as an quote unquote insurance policy against inadequate fisheries management that allowed rockfish and other marine life populations to plunge record lows. It it's yeah. it's a matter of us trying to control nature and our influence upon it. it, it this would be a curious one to watch.
0: Yeah, because I, I think I think there's some value in, in having the preserves. Now, my thing with the preserves is that they need to be properly marked and communicated. Uh, it can't be a trick. You know, understandably, a lot of the fishermen are going to have GPS, so you can argue that they should know at any point in time. But you have to set up the preserves to where they're fairly obvious and that people aren't going to be getting uh, tricked into violating the rules. It should be fairly clear that from this point to this point, there's a preserve up to so many miles out, and you just don't go there. When I say go Very there, true. fishing. Now, it does look like they're allowing other activities, so there is going to be diving. I know in some cases where we've seen preserves, they've gone the extreme that they don't want any humans in there. And in this case, uh, it's being supported by divers, and is actually the, the movement was started by some fishermen who were, who were a little upset that they weren't getting the catches that they used to find as being common. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this turns out.
1: Another one of those ones to watch and see how time proves it out.
0: And here we have some ecology diving going on. Scuba divers are, and this is in L.A. Boy, this is, we did might as well this called the, the California show today. Scuba divers are to remove a fishing net entangled in a shipwreck barge. And I tried to follow, find a follow-up because this should have happened this last Sunday. It was a group of scuba divers were planning to head to an 80-feet, uh, wreck off Huntington Beach to remove hundreds of pounds of fishing net entangled on a shipwreck barge. Uh, they said that ghost nets are putting recreational divers at risk. It's imperative to remove such netting to make sure the area is safe and reduce damage to the surrounding marine and ecosystems. And there's nothing, I don't know if you have in the east side of the state, Dave, if you run into fishing nets, but there's nothing quite as creepy to me as when you come across the fishing net. It, it I've,
1: I've run into I've run into some really odd stuff underwater that has entangled me, and I've run into uh, some fishing nets off the east coast in the Atlantic. And Jim, I'm sure you've seen several nets. There is nothing worse to me than seeing nets draped over a wreck. When I see that, all I think is, "Oh my God, I'm going to become entangled."
2: Exactly. Yeah, what well, that that's a real visible sign. Uh, you know, very obvious. What's not real obvious is when you've got a lot of sport fishermen with monofilament that you don't find until you're snagged in it. Very true. Yeah,
0: yeah. The monofilament I think is is a, a huge risk that we've got in river diving. There's monofilament everywhere. Now I've been, I think I've been pretty fortunate. I doubt I've had more than three or four lines on me at a time. So I've, the I've nice been, thing
1: about mono, nice thing about mono versus the fishing nets, I carry several ways to cut mono with no problem. Right. Some of the fishing nets are made out of steel cables, you know, galvanized cables. They're not just what we would think of like a hammock net. No. And I don't typically carry things that I can cut that kind of stuff with.
0: Certainly, yeah. There's there's some large nets. Uh, I've told the story a few times in the show about Jim Kleeman and I. Doing a dive in the river and came across a net and there was a float on it that we wanted to cut off and we 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 used everything we had and I'm sure in a panic we'd have figured out a way to cut through that line but just or
1: ditch your gear and blow to the surface
0: exactly but just of hacking and sawing at that that nylon it was pretty rough I mean we we were scratching it but it's still there.
1: I did carry a pair of 16-inch bolt cutters to uh, to Cooper last October.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Granted, they barely got wet, but uh, based on my previous experiences, uh, I was going prepared.
0: I, I can understand that. Uh, that's over the, over that's the pretty
1: la- awesome, seeing that, that divers are, are working to remove the next off the, off the wrecks.
0: That's mm-hmm.
1: pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, they, they've removed more than 13,000 pounds of abandoned fishing net from coastal waters over the last decade. Wow, they've taken a lot, and they also are doing a good job of they of they get this covered in the news. The fact that we even found out about it, so that's. Something. But I will
1: say I I do appreciate the nets finding the wrecks because there's a lot of wrecks we find because of hang numbers.
0: <laughs> yeah, they they do make a little bit bigger profile on the side scan with the net.
1: I'm loving your next article, Darren.
0: Submarine races. There's another one we've covered before. Whenever I hear submarine races, I think of. Uh, you know, dating myself a little bit, the old Happy Days episode is that's where they used to go down to the park and do the submarine races, which I, I I don't think there was much looking at the water going on. And this one... Guilty. 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 <laughs> the 12th International Submarine Races have been announced as a press release. Uh, is going to be on the week of June 22nd through the 26th in West Bethesda, Maryland. The Foundation supports... Uh, international scuba race during a two-year design process build and take part in the human-powered submarine competition. The goal of the organization is to raise interest and participation in engineering education and to increase competence and awareness among ocean engineering students. This will be the 12th in a series of alternating summer races that test the creative skills of engineering students from colleges, university, technical, and high schools from throughout the world. Teams wearing scuba gear compete in one- and two-person wet submarine designed to run submerged along a 100-meter course through the Cattle Rock model basin. Uh, It began in Florida in 1989 has been here ever since 1995.
1: This is one I can actually speak to, Darren, because, one, I used to work at Carter Rock. Uh And I will tell you the David Taylor Basin, it is long enough that it actually shows the curvature of the Earth. (laughs) <laughs> and I've actually gone and watched some of the uh, submarine races, um, 2006, 2009, 2010. I was able to watch them. And that model basin, it's, it's where the Navy tests designs, and they can simulate open water activities.
0: So when you're saying a model basin, this is actually a building that this is done in?
1: This is a building. It is um, um, this the David Taylor Model, Mason, Model Basin. It is the only the only words I can use to describe it. The first time I ever saw it was forking huge. <laughs> it's long enough that it actually does show the curvature of the Earth. If you take a transit and you try to shoot a line, uh-huh. you can't. And you can you can actually see it if you get on Google Earth. It's open open source stuff there's nothing concealed here and it is it's it is one of the more phenomenal things that I have seen and I've seen some pretty crazy stuff and when I took a tour of that place some of the other people on the tour were like yeah really and I was I was just so enthralled with the story behind this basin and the testing they do there it is a phenomenal facility and their their contest These submarine races, these students are developing new technologies. And it's funny watching them come in and you see some of the stuff and you look at it and you're like, wow, how many beers did that take to develop?
0: (laughs) But it's awesome
1: watching them get in there and competing.
0: If it's college-age students, I'm betting there was a lot of beers.
1: And they're also divers. So they are college students that are divers. That equals a a lot of rum.
0: I'm a big fan of these, these type of events. It gives uh, students a goal to work towards. It get some practical knowledge. It's a lot different than looking at something in a book and just figuring things out that way. You actually get some hands-on. You get to experiment. You get to see the process. And it gets some interest. I'm sure that a lot of or a good proportion of the people who participate in this get into careers, if not directly into uh, marine engineering, but uh, some related field in the engineering
1: And and it's phenomenal that the government is actually able to open a facility like that to schools for a competition like this to develop that desire to achieve new concepts.
0: You know how many hundreds of millions of dollars something like that had to cost and then to to open it up. We just get more value out of it. I think a lot lot more facilities that the government has should be opened up for access.
1: But if you ever get a chance, it's just north of D.C., Darren. Uh-huh. It's a great, great place to, uh, to take a tour, and they do have tours available.
0: Well, next time I'm in the area, I'm certainly going to go there. I may be there this spring, so I'll have
1: to. I can, if you're there this spring, let me know. I can uh, hook you up with some people that are actually on Carter Rock, people I work with that are there right now. Hmm. That is that is a phenomenal facility, and it's one of those underrated little research places and there's some people there that will give you a tour that will put you to sleep, but the information they put out is phenomenal.
0: I just find this stuff fascinating, so they'd have to do a lot to put me to sleep. Now, my wife might prefer to go shopping. I can't see how that would be.
1: That never happens. No. But we'll hook her up with a good place. So on to your mega drought.
0: Yeah, uh, I like these stories where they, they talk about events that, seeming, that seem to be just about impossible. So I'm trying to figure out what we did to cause this mega drought. An underwater forest reveals the story of a historic mega drought. This is a, uh, let's see, I'm trying to get through. The, they, they write the article in kind of a, a storytelling fashion, which I don't want to take everybody through all that. It start, The story starts off with a, a diver talking about the risk he's undertaken by cutting a branch underwater because if the suit fills up with water, he'll die because it's 39 degrees. But what, what he's coming down is that he, they have discovered a forest under le- underneath a uh, lake. The, the the trees that are in this forest have been underwater for 800 years. When they cut them and they bring them up, you can still smell the sap. The trees are ranging from 68 to 100 feet tall, standing upright in the bottom of the lake. They grew during a 200-year mega drought in the Sierra Nevada area between the 9th and 12th centuries, when precipitation area fell to less than 60% of the average that had occurred between 1969 and 1992. The fallen leaf lake dropped about 150 to 200 feet below its current levels, allowing the trees to grow above the lower shoreline, and the the wetter years that followed the lake quickly filled, drowning the trees and sealing them in a liquid catacomb safe from insects and fungi in the deep, low-oxygen water. They said there are also three older trees which drowned between eighteen and thirty five centuries ago centuries ago standing upright in a lake floor would suggest several droughts struck even further back in time uh, and what they're saying is that a mega droughts like this that happened in the past are frightening because they could strike again see uh, let's see Joe Klepp, who's a professor at the University of Nevada Reno who owns a lakeside home on fawn Lake accidentally discovered the mysterious climate archive uh, for fifteen years his fishing lures bumped against unknown objects in the deep It looked like a fish strike. The poles bent down. I never snagged, never caught anything. Curious, he asked uh, someone to investigate. They said once they found the first tree, he began combing the legs for more. He rigged a weighted 150-foot line between the undersides of two boats, slowly scouring the legs. Wherever he hooked a tree, he marked its location Sent and then later sent down a camera-mounted propeller-driven remotely operated vehicle. And it had a pincer for grabbing samples, lights mounted outside. Its footage showed outer worldly trees with roots supported by rocks and sediment buildup. They said they saw firsthand a two-person submersible in 2009. You saw lures, fishing lines dangling like tinsel from the tree branches along with tiny single-celled organisms grouped into colonies resembling jellyfish.
1: So, Jim, kind of curious, in all the lakes that you dive in that area... How many times have you run into these submersible forests?
2: I can't think of any where we've had a full forest area that's, that's been there. I've heard of a few, but I've not seen any.
0: But the only ones I'm aware of around here are we've got some dammed lakes, and they tend to <laughs> – nobody thinks of what those what's going to happen when the water rises. I, I can remember uh, in a town – where I lived near, they had a lake that they dammed. And then once the lake flooded, they decided they wanted to get rid of the trees, so they cut all the trees at the waterline. So for the next 15, 20 years, boaters kept taking the bottoms out of their boats in these tree stumps.
2: Yeah, I've seen a few of those.
1: Uh, but those are those are man-made lakes, the dammed up lakes. I'm just curious, the natural lakes you dive, how many I have not
2: I have not seen any, but I've heard there's some on the Wisconsin side of... Lake Michigan.
0: Well, I know that there are some, uh, and this is a research study that was done in, in Lake Huron, there are some stumps, but that's related to the how the ice age ended and the crust deformation because of the weight of the glacier. So, I mean, there's a whole, whole story you could do just on that.
1: I'm just curious, because I have yet to run into a natural lake that has forestation. I'm, you know, Gilboa Quarry is is a great one. Gilboa has some great forests underwater, but that's not a natural lake.
0: No, it's true. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think we're just too wet here, and we don't have enough of a change. I mean, they've out there in California. They've got a little bit different geology, which would lend itself to that. And I'm sure there's other spots in the United States, but we don't have a lot of bedrock here in in Lake Michigan, where you would have a valley that drains. And then can fill back up. Now, there are some things up in the upper lower peninsula of Michigan where they've got some sink basins that will occasionally flood or drain from time to time. And I think we had even a story about that on the show. where the Well, the Darren,
1: p- if, you, if you paid attention in the chat room, you'd see that Mac posted a link to a story about Winnetka, Illinois, in an underground forest of oak ash and hickory about 15 miles off of the Chicago coast. And this began in, it looks like, 1990, when divers found about 50 tree stumps 85 feet below the surface of a lake. Through radiocarbon dating, they were found to be about 8,200 years old. And the theories are prevalent to say they were buried under mud for most of their history because of preservation. And the thought is the exposure now to the general lake conditions, they'll be worn away in less than 1,000 years.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was seeing that they've got in Lake Huron. That that to me seems to be the equivalent in, in Lake Michigan, where at some point about that time it was exposed, and then the way that the, the lake is changing and its slope, uh, they ended up getting buried. Also, the, the Great Lakes have drained different ways over the years. Uh, like Michigan draining in the Huron used to be just a trickle at one point in time, there's some scrubbing of the the rock up there which is bre- believed to be a fairly sudden event that happened in the past where it opened up a, a passage there
1: and and those are all not measured in human days oh no but world days
0: yeah it it, it, it you know we something that takes a thousand years to form can be considered quick in in some cases uh, but they did it looks like they were granted a uh, some money to research this so the National Geographic has also had some articles on it.
1: Well, I find your next one kind of interesting about the uh, Catalina Hyperbaric Chamber and how yes. it came to be. And the link to the SR-71, that is awesome. <laughs> so go on.
0: Yeah, the uh, Catalina Hyperbaric Chamber located in the itmiss of Catalina Island and the University of Southern California's Catalina campus was initially built to support development of Lockheed's high-altitude SR-71 program. It operated at the edge of space at altitudes above 80,000 feet. The SR-71 Blackbird pilots were exposed to extreme changes in pressure. and The chamber is built to treat pilots who might suffer from altitude uh, decompression sickness as a result of those changes. When the SR-71 program development was completed, the chamber was donated to USC or was pressed in the service to treat divers with DCI problems. Now, they were talking about, they call it a hyperbaric chamber, but wouldn't this also if they're using it for high altitude, be a hypo chamber?
1: Well, perhaps, and and I'm kind of curious, and I just asked Mac a question in the chat room. If I recall correctly, one atmosphere above sea level runs to somewhere around 32,000, 36,000, somewhere in there. So they're only going to a change a negative change of, like, two atmospheres, which is like us diving to 66 feet.
0: Well, it would be like the diff, the difference of us coming from 66 feet to the surface them going from the surface up to that altitude.
2: Yeah, the question right. is, though, how much time? I mean, you think about how much time you spend at 66 feet. You know, you are you're basically totally saturated on the surface, mm-hmm. total saturation. Yeah. And when you decompress you're coming out of saturation I know I learned a lesson when we were on the chamber that uh, astronauts their suits are are not pressurized at one atmosphere they've only got like two or three psi in their suits so they have to do a full decompression before they uh, do a
0: spacewalk that makes sense
1: but it's like it, it's inverted. It's, it's kind of interesting right. to me because they're going, they're actually recompressing as they descend, where right. we decompress as we ascend. As right. they descend, they recompress. As right. we ascend, yeah. but our changes.
0: Yeah. But, but the point is that we, we will never, at least without getting a rebreather or having a chamber underwater, we're not going to absorb as much nitrogen. When we go from our 66 feet up to the surface, as they will going up to their altitude, they, they're already, like Jim was saying, fully saturated.
1: And they're going to absorb less as they ascend, because that column of air weighs less as they go up. And if we look at uh, Boyle's Law, they're going to absorb less nitrogen as they ascend. They're going to absorb more as they descend. It's almost as though they would need an inverse chamber. It's well, just-
0: right. Yeah, because you got a hyperbaric chamber, chamber, and I think they can do a hypo. I think they can draw a vacuum. I don't know if this one can, but I, I imagine it, it probably was.
1: But it, it, it's still kind of cool, and that's a side note, mm-hmm. kind of cool stuff yeah. to look into and research, but it's still cool that they've repurposed a chamber instead well, of eliminating it.
0: Well, and that it's still going, because these chambers, when you look at them, like the one that we've used in uh, uh, Battle Creek, which isn't much... Smaller than this one, I'd say similar size, and as far as rating, it appears to be fairly equivalent. At one point in time, chambers were real popular. Yeah, just looking through some of the photos in the article.
2: Yeah, I learned quite a bit when I uh, did a, a couple of chamber dives at uh, Kanama Zoo. It was r- real helpful.
0: On this article, that's, they... that's what
1: I want to do. I, I want to get with uh, Rick and uh, do his chamber dive.
0: Oh, you haven't done a chamber dive?
1: I have not yet done his chamber dive. That's on my list. Yeah.
0: I would like to do the chamber dive again, and I'd also like to go and maybe next time get the certification to be a uh, chamber tender because I, I think that would be a skill that make, that could become useful. I mean, hopefully not useful for meaning that we have people who need it, but just to be prepared. It's kind of like first aid. You hope you don't need it. And I recommend anybody who has an opportunity to chamber dive do one. Uh, just the, the – Nothing shows you the effects of uh, nitrogen narcosis nearly as effectively as a chamber.
1: I've seen some good videos to that effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's what we could do. Is we could do uh, one of our our dry get-togethers could be a chamber chamber ride. There we go. Winter time's a good time to do that. Yeah, we we've done it in oh, I don't say it was February. I have
2: to look. February. Just- yeah, February, February or early March
0: is a great time to do that. Yeah, hope the scrap metal prices don't get too high because that seems to be about the time they they talk about getting rid of it. And then we we kind of back in the a theme of low water levels. This one from uh, the St. Louis area, a uh, they're noticing that with the lower water levels on the Mississippi, and the Missouri, that shipwrecks are starting to be exposed, from uh, steamboats to an old map that was engraved on a rock, the rivers are showing uh, history from years gone by. Lack of rain has left many rivers at low levels that haven't been seen for decades, creating problems for river commerce and recreation, and raising concerns about water supply. Uh, an old steamboat is now visible on the Missouri River near St. Charles, Missouri. And other old boats are showing up in other spots. A World War II minesweeper, once moored along the Mississippi River, was a museum in St. Louis before... It was torn away by floodwaters two decades ago. Has become visible. I don't know. When they say two decades, that sounds a long time. But then I look at the the date, and it seems like I can remember it. Uh, and, and you look at the photo of that minesweeper. That hull does not look in bad shape. I have fresh That's true. Yeah, it isn't for fresh water.
1: Didn't you guys just have one recently re-exposed uh, just north of St. Joe?
0: Yeah, they had one in the Grand River up by Grand Haven. Uh, and that one's actually even referenced in this article they're talking about in the Great Lakes that we had some. Yeah, there's uh, about
2: three of the uh, up there. Yeah.
0: But the thing about the Mississippi and the Missouri is that the waters are so, I don't call them silted up, low-vis, that there's so many vessels that are down there. They said the average lifespan on the of a steamboat on the Missouri was five years. Uh, they figured they broke even with one run and everything else was profit. So they tended to not be... Too safe with them five hundred to seven hundred steamboats had sunk to the bottom of the Missouri River, so they said it was even more hazardous than the Mississippi, which tended to be a little bit more navigable. They said the causes of wrecks were boiler explosions, lightning strikes, accidents also sunk many of the steamboats now this and Mac from the chat room can correct us on it, but they're saying that uh no, I can't find it, oh they said taking anything from boats in the mississippi or the missouri is illegal by law the second ships and their goods belong to the state where they went down now i'm i mean i'm i'm not going to i'm not a legal expert so always check your local laws and sometimes you can be legally right and still in jail but my understanding is that's a, those are navigable rivers which get dredged so there's no expectation that those wrecks are to be preserved
1: but it doesn't matter Whatever oh. you find belongs to the state. Oh, well, they,
0: they yeah, they, they agree. Well, even lost stuff, not in rivers. You find something on the ground that's worth more than a couple bucks, they're going to claim it. But they're they're making it sound like everything that is in the water is theirs. So uh, remember what we said in other shows, that's why you do ecology dives. Ecology dive, everybody thinks you're a hero and you'll get good press.
1: Well, I like, I like the ending. It's not like these wrecks are full of bottles, dishes, things like that. If there was anything on there in the first place, the river current pretty much stripped them out of the wreck.
0: Yes, so where did they go? So if you find it in a
1: river, <laughs>
0: it right. sounds to me
1: like the Mississippi is ripe to be do.
0: Oh, yeah. If, well, what we almost need to do is come up with a heads-up display that can see through murky water. Now, see, there's something, kind of like a FLIR. Gosh, imagine how much, how much Navy grants you could get if you come up with that sort of gear.
1: It would have to be sonar related because everything underwater is going to same temp. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I can see that.
0: Yeah, you have have a little set of goggles, a little screen. Yeah, you're right. there would have to be some sort of sonar, something that could that could bounce stuff off, or maybe you have some sort of uh, uh, radio frequency or even light frequency that penetrates. Hmm.
1: It's a mask with side scan built in. Yeah, you there can, you go.
0: Uh, Now you could do that. That'd be great. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, All the ideas. It's only a little time. And then here's one for the dream site to dive. And this one I I borrowed from a post Rich had. Rich Sinowick from Diver Sink had this one. And this one is from the Hamilton uh, ship from the 1812. Hamilton and the Scourge. Two wooden ships from 1812, from the War of 1812, actually are aging very well in the bottom of Lake Ontario. And there are surveyors who have been studying the wrecks. The American schooners, which sank in 1813, lie in 90 meters of water, which would be about 270 feet down. And they're about 10.5 kilometers off Port Dalhousie. The ships have been owned by the city of Hamilton since 1980. But a partnership with Parks Canada allows surveyors to map out every inch of the boats. One of the things you have to do in order to safely do archaeological work is to it on a map using the latest technology the entire site was mapped out over the course of several years allowing experts to better determine how risky it would be to take the next steps like recovering artifacts we have no plans but we need to know what the risks are prudently moving forward you, no <laughs> we don't have any plans to take anything up but we want to know what the risks are that's that, yeah that's a little double speak there the uh, team also wanted to get detailed image directs because they have been colonized by a relative of the zebra muzzles, a layer of mussels could eventually cover the ships. Yeah, because you look at the photos that they've got. I mean, they've, they've got a, a figurehead, a carved figurehead with nothing on it. So they must be talking about the Quaggas are working their way in there.
1: That happens. But in 1978, it looks like the uh, MAC was posting. Uh uh-huh. The Congress agreed to transfer the title of those wrecks to the Royal Ontario Museum in the city of Hamilton, and it looks like he's saying 1,900 still images and 26 hours of video were obtained in May of '82. So these look like some wrecks that have been really surveyed well.
0: Yeah, well, and they would be good. And
1: some wrecks I would like to go see.
0: Well, the nice thing about these sort of wrecks is that they're when they've been documented like that, they're they're become good platforms for future archaeologists to to do some training on.
1: Well, and they also they also become good platforms for us to study the impact of some of the invasive species. Yeah, if you, you figure the, the video and images from 82 compared to today.
0: That's what I'm wondering if these photos are these just file copies that they pulled out or are these the way it looks right now.
1: It's it's hard to say. Um, I didn't see what was the depth. It
0: was About hundred seventy feet.
1: At two hundred seventy, there's probably not going to be as much invasive species just because of the lack of oxygen and whatnot. But I'd be curious to see. You know, I'm I'm actually writing both down to look. Oh, okay. I know people that dive in Ontario, and I'm going to look at what they've posted on. The images from their dives and see if they've dove to Hamilton and Scourge.
0: Yeah, the, these photos I'm looking back at them. They are from 1982, so I would doubt that they are anywhere in any. Oh, then they they show one in 2008, and they're still fairly clear. There's one from 2009, but you can see some buildup. There's a nice there's some nice side scan photos in this article as well.
1: Oh, right, Mac also posted, and, I, and this rem- reminded me. Um, was it the Scourge Mac that had the the Phantom Engineman? This Mac posted uh, in the chat room. <clears throat> the only wreck that I know that actually had a skeleton shown, and there was—I I, want to say it was a Scourge, but I, I could be wrong. But it was one of those that there was the Phantom Engineman that would move with with the water as you were penetrating the vessel and it it really spooked quite a few divers. (laughs) He also pointed out that quaggas have been found as deep as 950 feet in Lake Michigan. So it's interesting. Another thing for uh, everybody out there listening to go and research and, and look and look at the differences between the photographs from the 80s and current times and see the impact of the invasive species.
0: Now that that begs a question. Now they were in Ontario, which I think has had clear water. So you you've traded the no invasive species. So now you've got invasive species, but we have much clearer water.
1: There's actually a uh, a thread in the forums on Access Scuba regarding that same topic, and I Jim just actually posted in there.
0: Yeah, I posted that last night. Yep. so Access Scuba. If you haven't had a chance to check them out, that's at www.accessscuba.com. Um, head on over there. Make sure while you're there that you like the Scuba Obsessed fan page, also the Diver Sync fan page, and poke around. You, if you want to see pages, you you go, you log in, you create yourself an account, click on the Pages button, and then you'll be able to see all the pages. Or you can do a search; it'll come up that way. We are www.accessscuba.com forward slash scuba obsessed. just like we are on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And that does it for the news. We do have, uh, I call—I got it in the category potentially cool scuba gear. We have Robocod, and this is a follow-up to another article we've had in the past. The Homeland Security adds underwater drones to the arsenal of robot-based fish. And I'm trying to figure out why they keep pushing for... Press. There's got to be an agenda there why they keep pushing for press. And I can't help but think that maybe it's the, the company who's doing this work for the government trying to keep funding coming in. Homeland Security is hoping to use the underwater technology to monitor coastlines. The new robot is named Bioswimmer, is actually not based on a cod but a tuna, and they're saying that the tuna is the natural shape for an unmanned underwater vehicle. Which you're calling u u v so they're saying that its design allows it to turn rapidly and is efficient use of energy, so what I'm guessing is that the is that there is a motor a propeller at the end that's just using the tuna shape to help it turn
1: Well, it looks like they're flexing the tail segment
0: mm-hmm.
1: to it it's kind of like vector thrusting
0: yes. And then they're using the fins on the side. I, mean, I, I think it's a design. I I like it better than them saying it it, it flaps, because I think a submarine flapping is about as effective as a you know you making a an airplane that flaps.
1: That was tried. It didn't work well.
0: Yeah, you know we with our mechanics and everything we've got. I, I think there are other ways of propulsion that tend to be better. But for shapes for aerodynamics, uh, nature's got us beat. And there's a lot to be learned from that. They said it uh, does have a high number of security applications, highly maneuverable, makes it suited suit for reaching hard-to-reach places such as flooded areas of ships, sea chests, and part of oil tankers. Now, are they, do they mean what I think they mean when they say sea chests, like big things of gold?
1: No, no, no. A sea chest is basically a water intake. A sea chest is a place on a vessel uh.
0: where you're going to take water in.
2: That's uh, a common manifold intake.
0: Yes. Darn, I like I liked my idea better. Well, I prefer the
1: thought of mermaids with sea chests. But... Oh, well, those 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 as well.
0: So that's out there. I don't want they say how much one of these costs. I mean, can we just pick a couple up for the dive club?
1: I'm guessing the pricing is braided in unobtainium. Yeah.
0: Well, they say it will work in crude oil. That could be handy, I guess. Oh, then there they go. I didn't read down far enough. They have an article talking about a bird vehicle that flaps, and they have another one that almost looks like a bulldog, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, but I saw the word Boeing enter into it, and <laughs> We'll leave that for the other podcast. but uh, yeah. anyway.
0: Uh, here's the one in Japan, the hulking RXO 3 beetle-shaped robot for Japan. And you know what I see when I... I see that something that looked good underwater.
1: Well, that'd be a fun dive, wouldn't it? And if you look at the, the scale of that with the human standing next to it, uh huh. Wow,
0: that would be that great. is big. Wouldn't that be great? See, so the, the visualize it's got six legs, kind of has a odd looking head. It just that would just be cool. I'd love to dive on that. I've, I've I've dove on a lot less interesting objects in in the Great Lakes, and that would be that'd be a cool one. I'd penetrate that. 11 meters in length, weighs 17 tons, can walk in six legs, powered by a diesel engine, and it blows smoke from its nose. And before we get out of this, we've got uh, the video of the week, the Friendly Sea Turtle. And that one's on the divevideos.scubaobsessed website. You can head over there and visit that. And uh, that is a green sea turtle being just a little friendly to a commercial diver.
2: Yeah, that's a horned turtle, a horny turtle,
0: a horny turtle,
2: horny turtle. Yeah, I,
0: I was wondering if maybe he had uh, a little turtle chow stuck in his pocket or something. So that uh, video is just a little over three minutes.
1: It's pretty awesome video.
0: Just another
2: day at the office.
0: Okay, so that does it for Scuba the News. Other than I believe Dave, you had something that you were. Season in the chat room. What was that?
2: Well, that
1: was chat room, uh, chat room only stuff. That will be, that's chat room bonus.
0: Chat room bonus. So you so if you're not in the chat room, you missed out.
1: They missed out. That will become uh, well known shortly. Okay. Probably around uh, New Year's Day dive time. Ah. But the chat room, as always, got the bonus and. If you're not in the chat room, you're missing out.
0: Yeah. So Thursdays, nine o'clock, <laughs> it's usually about nine fifteen by the time we get rolling, and then uh, we've got Tuesdays normally for Diver Sink. So one of those two, you need to get there. Diver Sink's usually eight thirty. I believe it's eight thirty, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, it's eight thirty. Normally,
2: most yeah, people log in at nine and miss it. <laughs> or most of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, Rich. Doesn't you know? He only has to worry about himself being on, so he can usually start that one on time. Uh, he's also there. He starts about 15 minutes early for a pre-show chat room. So we do post-show. He does pre-show.
1: And the thing is, if you're not in the chat rooms, you're missing out. Oh, yeah.
0: That's where all a the best discussions you. come. I mean, I, I I think we're just a necessary evil. They have to listen to us. We're like background noise. I wonder how many people in the chat room have their speakers turned off. <laughs>
1: Okay. I will never confess.
0: You'll never admit to it.
1: But no, there there is something big in the works, and it will become complete public knowledge after New Year's Day. The chat room had an early uh, introduction, another chat room bonus.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and talk about dives. Now, Mac and I have been off work since last week, so I was hoping to get a dive in, and uh, we ended up shortly after recording the last show... Power went off as I was editing. Luckily, I had enough battery power to finish the edit, uh, but my wireless internet isn't nearly powerful enough to be able to upload. Uh, it would take about two days, and I can't get my uh, service I use for hosting the podcast won't let a connection go for two days. So we were without power for about 13 hours, and then I was without my normal broadband internet for another day and a half. So about two days, I didn't. I don't think I got the podcast really up until Sunday, so I'm uh, sorry about that. I, I had it edited. It was ready to go. It just didn't make it. So we're in that time of year where we don't know about weather. I'm hoping that we get these storms out of the way early on. Uh, and then I had internet problems actually a little bit this morning, but that, I think that was probably another problem with my ISP. But uh, we did get the show posted up, but we were planning on doing a dive on Friday, and it was just blowing. It was really blowing. So even if it had not been a power issue, it wouldn't have been a good one for a dive. I think Mac had some pictures that if you happened to be on one of Mac's lists, you could see the photos he had of the pier. And it was just, the, you could tell the waves are breaking over the top of the lighthouse. So a lot of strong weather. and then uh, That
1: looked like a hell of an entry, yeah. <laughs> but that would have been a fun dive.
0: I would love to take a photo of the lighthouse from the lake view. Because we see there's tons of photos. They're all great dynamic photos. But you've got tons of photos of people on the pier or on the beach with a zoom lens taking a photo of the lighthouse. You don't have one from out in the water looking in.
1: There's probably a good reason for that, Darren. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, you'd have to have a Coast Guard quality of a boat.
1: Or just dive it.
0: Well, the I'm entry
2: not... and exit will really suck. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I'm thinking maybe. It'll well on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. God, what that 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 underneath has just got to be no visibility.
1: No vis, and I'm sure the water's turning every which way but Sunday.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, you're moving sand all over.
1: It would suck, but yeah, that would be a good photo. Yeah,
0: yeah. And we'll have to I'll have to figure that out someday when, when I'm rich and you know, I can have some of those helicopters that can handle stuff like that maybe. Uh, so I didn't get a dive in. Now, uh, Jim, have you had a chance to get any dives in?
2: Um. Not since
0: we did our search and recovery. Not since we did uh, the search, no recovery. Yep. Uh, How about you, Dave? Have you been getting anything in?
1: Uh, I've been uh, working on recovering a weight pouch that was lost about six months ago. And we were able to uh, go into the mud hole where it was lost and set our baselines for search. And that's all we were able to get done. But it was a good hour and 20 minutes and enjoyed it. I'm now, also. Did you, you did you end up on. finding it? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But uh, the whole idea we were just we were just setting our baselines. The the loss it was pretty obvious where it was lost, but it was lost along a line that was about 14 feet above the bottom. So we dropped down plumb bobs and put stakes in and put a line on the bottom that followed the line that's. About twelve to fourteen feet above, we were just setting the basis for the search
0: hmm
1: we had time constraints, otherwise we'd have done more, but yeah uh, it, it is what it is this time of the year you you know your dives are limited even if, after an hour and twenty minutes and degree water you, you want some out and you know have a cup of coffee
0: yeah it's, you're not going to be able to get all. A whole lot of bottom time in in this this time of year, but it's it's good practice, and the, and the viz is is nice. I I love the viz this time of year.
1: The viz is getting better,
0: and, and we're wondering if how much of it is algae, which has to contribute to it, and the other part is just boats not churning everything up.
1: Well, I think it comes into to several factors. Boats not churning it up. Some of our local diving areas. New divers not playing rototiller. <laughs> The algae dying off definitely plays a part. And then we also have the natural effects of the lake turning over and the water column sinking and pushing sediment down. But there's a lot that uh, come to play this time of year with visibility, and if anybody ever is able to scientifically understand what completely affects visibility, they're in the running for a Nobel Prize.
2: Well, yeah. we've got to do the so many factors. Of temperature. We've been able to find a direct correlation to temperature on MaxRex. They can almost predict visibility on MaxRex, looking at the thermal system. Yeah, that,
0: that, that buoy helps out a lot. It's not a sure thing, but I think we're probably about 80%, which I think is better than the weatherman. Yeah.
1: And it'd be nice if they were able to figure out a way to leave that out over the winter.
0: I think the trick and to leaving saying, it out over the winter is having a lot of money that you didn't care if you lost it.
1: Well, you're going to lose you know, it. The ice is going to kill it.
0: First off,
2: it's going to get deep to and secondly, the ice is going to tear it up and drag it away.
1: And as I've already stated, I'm confident that the storms that we had moved through from north to south totally cleared all the sand off Max Rec, <laughs> and by spring, it's going to resediment. So you
0: Guaranteed. just need to do is, is have a subsurface buoy that ha- had a radio transmitter on it that would be able to leave the water. So you had something about 10 feet below the surface. Because I think 10 feet would be safe, wouldn't you, Jim?
2: Um, probably, unless we get a really bad blow, a really cold winter and a lot of really bad blows. Yeah,
0: because, yeah, I mean, you could have ice that would stack up and then get pushed out. You'd eventually lose something. But I'm thinking if you had something about 10 feet below water. But I, I just don't think we've got the radio or the battery or the energy technology without running something in from shore. That would be the other thing to do, actually, would be to run a cable out.
1: Well, that's the only way you're going to do it, because yeah. otherwise you're going to have to have something that is surface-mounted.
0: Yeah. Well, and the way you think about it, you're kind of surprised, and maybe the nuke plant does have it, but that would be something the nuke plant would be able to do. They would have the funds.
2: Well, think about this. Uh, you know they've got those self-powered watches that have a uh, weight on the outside that, as you move your arm, it spins around and yeah. generates electricity. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine if you could do something like that inside a buoy, where you actually capture the wave action and use it to generate power in the buoy. Hey, oh. down. make sure you edit that out of the the show notes. Well, I think you might be to see that. and don't want anybody jumping on our patent idea. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you better patent it now. Yeah, well, they right. already
1: have that. They already have that. The problem is... If you have a surface-mounted aerial to transmit that data, the ice flow is going to just play hell with it. So that's where I think Darren's cabling.
0: Yep. Yeah. Sure we'll see. The cabling do it. Yeah, in, th- in the case of that, that, you're just talking fiber optic, which... And which, that's
1: really not that expensive. You're talking, what, at the most, three miles of fiber?
0: Yeah, maybe a little more out there, but...
1: Hell, my congressman blew that today on his yeah. cappuccino.
0: <laughs> he probably did. Yeah, I, was yeah, I see him.
1: Paul Paul is posting in the chat room, good viz there <laughs> in the caves in Florida.
0: Yeah. Now, they've had a few times this year, though, I think, where their viz wasn't exactly perfect. They had some uh, near drought conditions that got some moisture here, what was it, about June, July, where they they, they got a little soggy?
2: I think they had some rivers overrun and... Flush out some of the clear streams that so they cleared out.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think that was this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have some
1: diving.
0: Yeah, we're going to have some diving coming up this weekend, or I won't say this weekend, but uh, for New Year's Eve, uh, the Mud Club is going to have their dive, which will be on the 31st, and then New Year's Day in Holland, we've also we've got a Holland dive. So if you happen to be in the area and you want to know about those. Uh, the Mud Club site has some, some notes on them, or you can do a search. And I believe White Star is going to have a dive on New Year's Day, aren't they?
1: That is quite true. And the heaters will be cranked up, and we'll probably have the concession right around. The vent fan kicks on at 110 degrees, and it usually kicks on pretty early. <laughs> so the concession will be warm. Yeah. And the hot chocolate will flow. The coffee will be there.
0: Yeah. So, and, and it's nice having that, especially if you... Uh, is there a little bit of a walk from the shoreline to the stand?
1: From the concession to the first entry is about twelve feet.
0: Oh, that's not bad at all.
1: The water levels the water level's gone back to where it was to exit at that point is a little challenging. Not overwhelming. But if you actually go out at the walk in entry and come back, you're looking at a couple hundred feet of walk. Not too bad. And it's New Year's Day, so everybody is preloaded with your narcosis.
0: <laughs> it may, maybe may a little bit of uh, hangover remedies going.
1: That might happen. <laughs> but uh, the New Year's Day dive is always phenomenal. Yeah,
0: yeah. so uh, so I, you, I've heard that there's a recommendation that for hangover type of conditions, of course you shouldn't be drinking the night before a dive, but in the event that those are, I've, I've heard that nitrox uh, can help.
1: I cannot confirm nor deny whether or not elevated PPO2s, uh, can assist. All I can say is I'll probably be diving at thirty six percent.
0: Thirty six percent,
1: and maybe the cold water helps too.
0: Yeah. Well, also make sure if uh, somebody's is did partake a little bit, you keep hydrated.
1: That's always a plus. So after New Year's Day, do you guys have anything planned for the future?
0: I, I really, other than trying to get some dives in, we're hoping that we're going to have some ice frozen over and we'll get some ice dives this year, but I really only want about two or three ice dives. I'm not looking for a long winter. I'm thinking that, uh, by about the third weekend in January, ice can freeze. We'll get two or three good weekends, maybe to about the mid February. And then it melt. We'll be back open in March. I would like to break our record for getting on the Havana in the spring, which I, we had an opportunity this last year, uh, Everything opened up, but we just did not have the weather. The storms are so rough that we couldn't get out. Right. And then I think we ended up getting out kind of late on Lake Michigan. Uh, if we have a heavy I'd snowfall, like spend, it's going to kind of kill the river diving in the spring.
1: I'd like to spend more time on Havana.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a well-documented wreck. It's interesting as far as rubble wrecks goes. It's wide. Uh, it's a good one. It's It's a good one or two dives a year. Uh, I always see something new. You know, every year we count the, how many boards have been exposed since the last year, and some wrecks covered up. Uh, there's also a chain that hasn't been seen in years, so it'd be interesting to see if uh, we get if the sand moves just right to where we can see have the chain exposed.
1: Well, the big the big question. Hang on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm going to try to hit more different wrecks this year. Spent all my time last year on Max Wreck and hit the Havana a couple of times, but. Uh, I want to get out and see a few more different wrecks. I'll still buy Mac wreck a lot.
0: So. Yeah, well, I, I agree on that. I, we, I I did get to do the Ironsides once. We did the mis, the uh, uh We've done the South Bend and uh, Diamond Lake. Now, we didn't get the material service barge or the tug. There's some around Chicago. I might do a little bit more Chicago area diving this year. Uh, but I, also, I think we need to get out and do some more scanning. It just didn't seem like it worked real well. Uh, Jim Kleeman and I were just talking this last weekend. we got to get his secondary dive boat going. That would be a good trolling boat for a Yeah, the other camp. thing we
1: need to do is we need to get you guys to come over to the uh, east side of the state.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do want to get, I, I would love to, I, I almost hate to say I want to do it as a goal because if I do it as a goal I want to achieve it and I just don't see how I can. But I would like to, for 2012, dive on a wreck in each of the Great Lakes.
1: You mean thirteen?
0: Thirteen Great Lakes.
1: Yeah, twelve is almost gone.
0: Yeah, oh, uh, that's right, two thousand thirteen. But yeah, each of the Great Lakes.
1: And uh, yeah, maybe I,
0: I would like to do that.
1: Maybe we can get uh, maybe we can get you guys over to the uh, Saint Clair River this winter.
0: Yeah, yeah, Saint Clair would be good, but I don't know how that's going to happen this year. That might be uh, two thousand thirteen then in the fall.
1: That's that... not that far a drive.
0: No, it's not that far. It's just. I mean, how long is that going to be open? We've got to be getting pretty close to that, starting to to freeze up.
1: Well, the Sioux Locks is the first place it freezes up. And I've been watching, and there's no indication. Last year, it, the Sioux closed for, what, three days?
0: Oh, I, I didn't know it was only that short.
1: Yeah, uh, the shipping season didn't end last year. Um, so it, it really depends on weather. And right now, I will tell you the St. Clair, the visibility blows. But we'll we'll have to get you over there to dive it. And uh, that's all all meat and potatoes for your next, next show about the goals for the next year of diving. Is it getting close to that time, Darren?
0: I think it is getting pretty darn close. But before we do, let's I... do... Go ahead.
1: Oh, go ahead. I
0: was just saying, before we get to that point of the show, let's just do a little bit of housekeeping and talk about how people can get a hold of us on the show. You can email us at the show. So it's the show at scubaobsessed.com, and they'll send us a mail. Uh, I do have some volunteers who, who are volunteered to help out with certain portions of the program, so we'll be taking some people up on that. Uh, So if you want to get involved, go ahead and drop me a line. You can do that at Darren at Scuba Obsessed, and I'll respond to you. It might take a little bit. This last time with the weather and and, the Internet and everything, it took me a little bit. But we are looking for stuff. Also, if you think that you've got a story that people would like to hear about, we'd also like to have some of our fans on the show. So drop me a line if you're interested in being on the show. We'll spread that out throughout the year, get different fans on, just so you can tell us what type of diving that you're doing in your part of the world. Uh, also looking for additional hosts or people who want to do segments on the show. So drop me a line. I'm going to be doing a change in format. Uh, right now i got a week to get the format done because I re- usually like to the launch them at the beginning of the year. But we'll see. I've also got some projects here at home now that I'm off that are taking up a bunch of time. Doing a lot of painting and uh, interior house maintenance. So I'm, I'm going to try and get it done for next week. I've got a good start on it, but it might not be there. Uh, but we'll have that coming up some new segments, some new changes to the show, make it a little bit uh, more interesting. Um, so you can get a hold of us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And also we're now on access scuba, scuba.com forward slash obsessed. I've also got a uh, a page myself so you can follow me as well. Also on Twitter at scuba obsessed and also at Darren Jilson. We love those five-star reviews. So if you get a chance, head on over to iTunes and drop a five-star review for us. Also on TalkShoe, there's a place you can review as well there. And then the website, www.scubaobsessed.com. And we have the dive videos, divevideos.scubaobsessed.com. And I'm, we're going to get that updated. So that will also be updated next week. I might not do a redesign on that right away, but that will be coming in the next months or so. January is a remarkably busy time for us. And dive. We got the dive show season coming up, so keep a watch on. We're going to get a calendar out there. We're going to try and get at least somebody to all the major shows. So if we don't have a booth, we'll at least be out walking around, saying hi to people. Maybe do some interviews. Maybe do some meetups. So we're at that time of the year where well, dive shows kick in.
1: Yes, well, Darren. Yep. If I could, please take the honor. Uh huh. I would. I would love to contribute to this portion of the show.
0: Okay. Well, oh, yeah. Okay. So it's that time. So everybody, everybody hold has on.
1: been warned. Everybody's been warned.
0: Yep. I, I, Jim I, I,
1: calls Darren. Jim calls Darren. The lake is flat. The boat's ready. Let's go. Darren replies back to Jim. I've, I, I'd love to go diving, but I'm stuck working around the house. I've got this painting project I'm doing. I, I don't know if I can. Darren, I've heard that the visibility is phenomenal. So Darren tells Jim, all right, all right, I'll meet you for the dive. I don't know how, but I'll figure out a way. So Darren, as he's got his headphones on, listening to his iPod rolling the paint on, he thinks and he connives. Saturday morning rolls around. He knows he's already told Jim, I'll meet you at the dock at 8 o'clock. And he's knowing that he's expected to be working around the house. About 7 o'clock, the alarm goes off, and Darren rolls over and says to uh, the boss, Wow, what a beautiful day. I think this is a great day for sex or a great day for diving. A few minutes later, she's telling Darren, Don't forget your mask.
0: You know, I, I, I'd i say that's remarkably accurate. i, I, I got to write that one down. Hmm. No boo hiss. Wow. No, no, I I think you just gave me a great idea. <laughs> the chat room saying it works every time. <laughs> so, on that note, for the last show of 2012,
2: go out there and get wet. Stay safe. And remember, no horny turtles were farmed in the making of tonight's show.
0: Did we drop somebody?
2: Dave, he's still game.
0: <laughs> we think we lost Dave.
2: Right at the last minute. Yeah. Call recording has been completed. <laughs> wow. I guess he choked up on his own joke.
0: Yeah. He thought he was going to go look for his mask.
2: Paul wants to go on a round table.
0: Oh, there he is. Paul wants to a round table. Okay.